everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. Good morning, everybody. Um, I like how on our service order it says uh, uh, Chris will set up the jerk and then Jonathan will come out. I thought that's the wording is if you're if you're just new with us and you're joining us in this middle of a series called um, Coffee Mug Christianity. It's sort of this cheeky title that, that references all those verses that Christians love to put on t-shirts and bumper stickers and memes and mugs, but it turns out they're often misquoted or misunderstood and sometimes, you know, cherry-picked out of context. And to begin today, I, I'd, uh, what I'd like to do is ask a question, and I would really love it if you'd all respond honestly okay, if you think this is true, okay? So will you promise to be honest? Here goes. How many of you would say that if you just had a little bit more money, it would make life a little bit easier? Just, just be honest. Yeah, okay, so almost everybody. So just to illustrate the point this morning, what we want to do is we want to be a blessing to a few of you today. And so um, most of you uh, won't experience this, but taped under three seats is a $100 bill. And uh, what we want to do is be a blessing to somebody. So if you go ahead and just look under your... No, I'm just kidding. That's not... Uh, wouldn't that be, that'd be cool, though, right? That'd be cool. Uh, we wouldn't use your generous donations to pull gimmicks. But still... Right? After the service, there's going to be some people. Well, this leads me into one of the more misquoted verses that I hear. And uh, how many have heard somebody say, money is the root of all evil? Have you heard that? It's almost the correct quote. It's missing a couple words that totally make all the difference, that change the context of what the Bible actually said. In fact, I'll show you this photo from a cafe it uh, is actually was their tip jar. It says, money is the root of all evil. Cleanse yourself here, which is kind of clever. Uh, and this is what many people think the verse says, that money is the root of all evil. But before we put it up, what, does anybody know what the actual verse says? The, very good. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's from... 1 Timothy 6.10. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, if you're like most people, you're, you're going to say, well, thank goodness that isn't me. Uh, that's some other rich, greedy person who loves money. But, you know, that's not me. I mean, I sure do know some people who need to hear this this morning. Um, but I don't love money. Well, how do we even discern if we actually have a problem with this or, or do love money or not. 
Interesting enough, the Bible actually answers this question very clearly, and it was the wisest man in all of history, Solomon, who said this in Ecclesiastes 5.10. He almost has a definition for it. He said, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves his wealth is what? Never satisfied with their income. I, I kind of set you up earlier by asking how many would say that just a little more money would make life easier. I certainly feel that way. But when I look at this definition of whoever loves money never has enough, suddenly it, it makes me a little more uncomfortable about my own spiritual growth. Little, just a little more would make life better. Just a little more might make me happier. Whoever loves money never has enough. And maybe you can relate to this. I'm, I'm working at a, uh, at a privatized group home in, in my early 20s for at-risk youth. It's my first real career as a young man. I thought, ooh, this is nice, getting a real salary bi-weekly. And, but, you know, I'm doing the same job as those government institutional workers, um, if I made that sort of salary, then I'd be set, I'd be happy. Uh, I'm not a man of extravagant needs, I just want a fair wage, like those cushy union government counselors are making, right? Well, guess who got that nice, cushy government counseling job? Turns out cushy was maybe an overstatement. You know, in that line of work, I got punched and spit on and cursed at and dealt with suicide attempts, but I couldn't help but think, you know, my team supervisor works the same shifts I do. Uh, I've seen their pay scale, and uh, it's more than me, and, you know, when I become a supervisor, that's the kind of living wage that I can support a family on, that I can be happy with. You kind of see where this is going? Now, nobody I know gets into full-time church ministry to make it rich, I assure you. Uh, but even when I was the worship pastor at my previous church, you know, if I, if I made as much as the senior pastor, I could finally put this obsession with making ends meet behind me. It's funny how the goalposts keep moving, right? And if we could just make that much money, we'd be finished. We wouldn't want for anything. And I won't ask you to raise your hand if you relate, but I'll bet many of you do. In fact, if I asked you this question and you were really, really honest, the answer might reveal something about where our hearts are in regard to money. And here's the question. How much do you need to be happy? How much do you need to be satisfied? How much do you need to feel secure? And virtually everybody I know would say something like, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Whoever loves money never has enough. And suddenly, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, may hit a little closer to home than we might first acknowledge. And what I want to do today is do what we've been doing in the last few weeks, and that's dive into the context. If you've been tracking with us, you know that context is important in understanding the Bible. So we want to know who wrote this, to whom did they write it to, when was it written, what, what was the big purpose, the big theme. We want to understand the context of what we're reading. So, as I said, this was Paul the Apostle. 
He's writing to Timothy. Paul has two uh, what's known as pastoral epistles. There, he wrote letters to Timothy and to Titus. These were not his, his biological sons. Timothy and Titus, you could say, were kind of like his sons in the faith. And, and these were young ministers that Paul loved as, as his own sons. And he was a coach to them, you could say. And these letters are personal. We learn so much about how to love Jesus and how to love the church as we read these, these coaching letters. So in 1 Timothy 6, let's start in verse 6, a few verses back, and then move down and we'll see that there's some context here. Paul says in, in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And I would say that's actually the big theme of this block of teaching. We might argue that it's about money, but the big theme really is about godliness. Godliness is the goal. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. This is really, really easy to understand in our heads, but our hearts are a little slower to get this. I'll bet my friend Paul uh, Mayhew, who's in the storage business, has seen all kinds of crazy accumulation stories in his day. People hoarding all kinds of nutso things. But even Paul has never seen a hearse dragging a U-Haul behind it, okay? A dead person isn't taking their stuff with them. We know that, right? In fact, there's this old dad joke about a a really wealthy guy, and when he found out he didn't have long to live, he put a big briefcase full of money up in the attic. And his wife said, what, what are you doing putting all that money in the attic? And he was like, well, when I die, I'm going to grab it on the way up to heaven and take it with me. And his wife was like, what you ought to do is put it in the basement and grab it on the way down. Uh, we brought, dad joke, we brought nothing into this world. And we can take nothing out of this world. And then in verse 8, Paul says something that's really profound. He says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Do you believe that? Would you be cool with that? If I have food and clothing and an iPhone... Uh, and I will be, and Netflix. If I have food and clothing and Netflix and an iPhone and some Jordans, that's all I need, and this ashtray and this lamp and this chair, that's all I need. One of the things that Paul is trying to teach us is this the richest, the richest are not those who have the most, but those who need the least. Let me say that again because it's a, it's a thinker. The richest people are not those who have the most, but those who need the least. In fact, all you have to go do is, is go to another part of the world where maybe people don't have as much, uh, maybe have a lot less than we have, and you look around and suddenly you, you start to get a bit disturbed because in many ways, those who have what seems like much less act like they have so much more. 
Anybody had an experience like that? Like, it can be unsettling, it can be unnerving to see these Christians in developing nations with nothing, dirt floors, no electricity, no hot water, no toilets that work. And these people have nothing that we would take for granted. And yet, and yet, it's like they have this joy, this, this peace, and this openness. And you look and you say, well, maybe the richest are not those who have the most. Maybe the richest are those who need the least. We need to recognize that if we have food, and if we have shelter, and if we have clothing, if we have the basic needs, we can be content with that because godliness with contentment is great gain. And then Paul goes on to say this in verse 9. Those who want to get rich, mm, can anyone say a lot of 649? I promise I'll tithe on it. Those who want to get rich, what happens to them? They fall into a temptation and a trap and then the many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then comes our verse in context, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And then, then Paul tells Timothy, in fact, some people who are eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many grief, griefs, griefs, griefs. You don't have to raise your hand, but I, I wonder how many of you know someone like that, you know? They chased it, and they walked away from God. They had, they had a money fight with somebody that they loved, and they ended up losing the relationship. They had tension over finances with someone in their family, and now they're not even speaking anymore. The love of money can be a root of all kinds of evil. When we hear this, it sounds like money's the bad guy, right? Money must be bad. Well, we're big boys and girls here, right? We can hold both of these things together, maybe in intention, that having money is not bad, and also, as well, loving money is more dangerous than maybe we can even get our heads around. Jesus talks about the subject a lot, a lot. So if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, we have, to, we have to get this stuff straight. Jesus said that you cannot serve both God and money. He didn't say you can't serve both God and power or, you, or God and popularity or, or sex or both God and career. He could have. That's, that's a true principle as well. But he specifically said you cannot serve both God and mammon or, or money. Because for many people, apparently going back thousands of years, money is going to be the number one competitor for your heart. It seems like it's a human nature thing. It's going to be the very thing that will distract you from having the true riches that God wants you, uh, that he wants to bless you with. So we got to get this right. We need to have a, a good theology of money if you will. And in many parts of the Christian world, there are these two extremes, two ditches that we kind of need to stay out of. There's what might be known as the prosperity gospel. We talked about that last week. You know, it's the name it and claim it 
gospel. Some of you may have even heard that, that Creflo Dollar, the ironically and appropriately named prosperity preacher, just recently apologized for his false theology on prosperity. We'll see what he does with the jet, the jet <laughs> and the three mansions. You know, that might be the real test. But then there's the other extreme, what some might call the poverty gospel. You know, two extreme ditches. The prosperity gospel, like we said last week, is this belief that if I'm godly, if, if I have enough faith, if I give enough, then God has to make me rich. Uh, remember, if, if we can't preach this message everywhere, we shouldn't preach it anywhere. It's, it's a teaching that frankly is dangerous and it's abusive and it's a misunderstanding of the blessings of God. Okay, you with me? On the other side, there's what's known as the poverty gospel. Less popular in North America. You may not even have heard of it, actually. And that says, you know, this mentality that if you're really righteous, if, you, if you've really got this Christianity thing figured out, you ought to be poor. If you really love Jesus, you're not going to have anything because if you have something, then you're part of this corrupt world. And that's just sort of the opposite coin of misunderstanding Scripture. In fact, if we look at how Scripture speaks on this subject, and we go back to Deuteronomy 8.18, listen to what Scripture says. Remember the Lord your God, for He is the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So God is not going to give you the ability to do something wrong, is he? No, how many of you know that if you have wealth, you can actually help a lot of people? Uh, and so we need to be careful not to go in either of these extreme ditches. That's why when we recognize that we really are blessed, we don't have to apologize for the blessings from God. We're not embarrassed by the blessings of God. Instead, we maximize the blessings of God. You wouldn't apologize for any other type of blessing. You know, if, if you came up to me and said, Jonathan, it's so great that you seem to have this awesome relationship with your girls. I wouldn't go, oh, no, 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 no. It's not like that. Secretly, we kind of hate each other. I wouldn't do that. I'd be like, yeah, isn't it great? I'm blessed. Uh, oh, you have such a great marriage. Us? <laughs> no, no, no. Trust me, we can't stand each other. Uh, you wouldn't say that. But if someone says, oh, man, you have a really great house, what do we say? What, this old thing? Yeah, we got a really good deal on it. It was the 80s. Uh, man, you don't have to apologize for the blessings of God. You maximize the blessings of God. It's not a sin to have money. It is a sin and it is dangerous to love money, certainly more than, than we love and trust God. Here's what verse 17 says in the same chapter. Paul says, command, command, whoa, Paul's all up in our business now. Command who? He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything 
for our enjoyment. How many are like me when you read that verse, you, you might just kind of run by it? Why? Because typically we don't see ourselves as rich. Rich is somebody else. This is where I am. This is where rich is. And yet, when I read this with a, a global context in mind, I don't know about you, but for most of us, well, this room, for instance, uh, almost everybody has hundreds of dollars of technology in their pocket or in their purse. That's like a year's worth of wages for half our planet. You're kind of rich. Uh, most of you have access to some sort of transportation. Uh, if you own a vehicle, according to uh, an article I read, that puts you in the top 12% of the wealthiest people in the world today. I kind of hate to break it to you, but you're rich. I am not. How dare you, pastor? Funny thing is, is that many of you will drive that top 12% car past seven or eight restaurants after church today to go to your favorite. And then you'll sit down and look at everything on the menu and say, I can't decide. And then you'll order it and someone else will bring back who has cooked it and, uh, and brings it to you. And you'll complain because it took 11 minutes to get the thing that you couldn't decide on in the first place. And then uh, many of you will get back in our top 12% car and you'll drive it, uh, some of you, to your car's very own house. That's right, your car has a house. We call it a garage here in Canada. And then you'll walk into your air-conditioned, climate-controlled place and, and pick one of three washrooms to pee in and you flush it away and you'll never have to see it again. And then you're like, should we go to the movies tonight or, nah, let's just watch something on our giant flat screen TV with theater sound because we can have that kind of experience in our living room now. Oh, you'll be like, this is ridiculous. There's too many movies on our four streaming platforms to choose from. And then when you wake up in the morning, if you're like me, you walk into a closet. You don't have a closet, you walk into it. And it's a two-story closet. And by that I mean there's clothes on the bottom here and in the middle and then up high and uh, on the bottom rack, on the top rack. And you sort of touch each thing as you... And then you complain and you say, oh, I've got nothing. Yeah. Can we just admit it? We rich. I'm rich. You rich. We're blessed. We don't have to apologize for it. We maximize it. We didn't deserve it. We, we got born into it seriously. You could have been born somewhere else. Discontentment has a way of making rich people poor. Contentment makes everybody rich. And let's read that verse again, and let's read it this time as if God is speaking to us. Because guess what? Yes. Command those who are rich in this present world. Uh-oh, who's that? Right, that's us. That's me, that's you. Command us not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope where? To put their hope in God. Not in things, but in God. Not in this world, but 
in eternity. Put your hope not in wealth, but in God, who provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Why do we tend to put our hope in, in wealth? Why is it when I ask if you, would just, if you just need a little bit more uh, money to make your life better, most of us without reservation say, yeah, of course. Why is that? I think because money makes promises that only God can really deliver on. What does money promise? Money promises if you have enough, you'll be happy. How much more do you need to be happy? Just a little more. What else does it promise? Security. Uh, if I finally get that car paid off, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll be secure. When I get that credit card paid off, um, then I'm going to feel, you know, I just need a little bit more. When I get that down payment for a house, then I can stop feeling restless. I knew someone who wouldn't have kids until he had a certain amount of money in his savings. And it was an obscene amount of money. He had this monetary figure that he thought would guarantee him safety and security and stability. Just a little bit more. Happiness, security. How about significance? You know, the right car, the right Gucci handbag, picking up the tab. This will give me what apparently I don't intrinsically have. Significance, because money promises really what only God can deliver on. When we really think we need more money to be happy or satisfied or secure, not only are we deceived, we're actually kind of under the power of money, aren't we? Money will not meet our deepest needs. Jesus will meet our deepest needs. I like how Brittany affirmed that without knowing what I was talking about. Let me say it again because I, I need to hear it again. Some of you need to hear it again until we believe it. Uh, so we don't treat this sort of like a mission trip where we get impacted but then forget it in three days. Money will not meet your deepest needs. Jesus will meet your deepest needs. More money will not keep your children free from drug addiction. More money will not make your spouse love you more. More money will not make you more secure in this world. Only Jesus will. And here's the crazy thing. When you don't have a lot of Jesus, money starts to look really good. But when you have more of Jesus, then you start to be more content with what you have because godliness with contentment is great gain. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. You are searching for something that will never satisfy you you will never, ever have enough. What you need is more Jesus. You need more grace. You need more peace. You need more of his presence, more of his power in your life. He is your creator. He's your sustainer. He's the bread of life. He's your living water. He is your rock. And, and wouldn't you know it? When you have more of him, you find you're not craving everything else. And the really crazy thing is, sometimes when you have more of him, he starts to give you more of everything else. 
And suddenly you recognize more of everything else isn't just for me. I can enjoy it. I can be blessed by it. But since it came from him, then I get to use what he gave me to be a blessing for the world. I may have it, but it doesn't have me, right? I may have it, but I'm not under its power because what I truly have is the assurance of who I am in Christ Jesus when I truly have the knowledge that my sins are forgiven, that, that they are not held against me, that I'm a child of the living God. That's, that's what I have to have. I have to have that. I used to sing this song in Sunday school when I was a little boy. And now at age 49, I'm finally truly understanding what I was singing. It was like, I got something that the world can't give and the world can't take it away. I got something that the world can't give, but the world can't take it away either. The world didn't give me supernatural peace and assurance of salvation and forgiveness of sins and a home in heaven. And it sure as heck can't take it away either. Some of you, you're going to get this one day, and when you get it, you're going to be free. You'll realize it's not wrong to have, it's not wrong to be blessed, it's just wrong to love it. Here's what Paul says to the rich people in verse 18. Command those rich people, that's us, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Well, maybe God does want us to be rich, rich in good deeds, rich in generosity, in sharing. And in this way, he says, they lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, security so that they make, so that they take hold of the life that is truly life. The life that is truly life. I love that. The life you've been searching for and, and can't find in money. The life that is truly life. You know, in four and a half years uh, since being here, I've never preached a message on the tithe. You may feel like I have, uh, but I haven't, I promise you. And this is not a message on it either. But let me just say this as a quick aside. Apart from the theological and scriptural and historical grounds for, for the tithe, just from a practical, even emotional aspect, giving 10% of my income, that's what the tithe literally is translated as, 10%. It has trained me in a lesson on priorities. It's not the only thing that has done that, but it's part of the antidote for my love of money. It might even be the most effective tool for spiritual growth that I have. It, it hurts at first, like all disciplines. And then it starts to change you, and it starts to give you joy and maybe even freeze you from the, the grip of serving the wrong master. When you take hold of the life that is truly life. Let's pray. Father, we'd ask that, that we would be followers of Jesus who would get this right. We need to get this right. May we be generous like Jesus, like Abraham. 
may we be blessed so that we would be a blessing to the world. God, as an act of worship, we will recognize that everything comes from you. We will not feel guilty about your blessings, but we will feel this divine responsibility to be the church in our day for those who need to be blessed, to those who much is given, much is required. So God, because you have blessed us, we will be a blessing to others. And, and just as you continue to pray with me this morning, perhaps there are those who've been searching for something to bring peace, something to fill that void in your heart. It's really because of sin that separates us from a holy God. We cannot consume enough to be filled. My prayer is that you would experience the grace of Jesus this morning. You do not need more of the world. You need more of Jesus. There's nothing in this world that's going to fill the emptiness that you have inside. But I, I can tell you Jesus will. So that's why we sing of your goodness, Lord. We sing of your goodness this morning. You have been faithful. You have actually been pursuing us. It hasn't been like we've been pursuing you all our life. You've been pursuing us. Your goodness has been running after us. So that's why we'll sing of your goodness, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me as we close in worship?